G'day there and welcome to the Christian Women in Business podcast show. It is so fantastic to have you here. We are on the countdown to the conference now. It is just over two months out. I can't believe it. Yes, we do have Christmas in the middle, so it's going to get a little bit fuzzy, but we are on the countdown. And today we have one of our amazing speakers who is going to be joining us at the conference. Now, this amazing fellow is doing some, or has done and is doing some extraordinary things across the globe. So his biggest mission is to get the maximum number of people coming to Christ in any given moment in one of the crusades that they hold. And his favorite thing to do on a weekend is have a nice cup of tea with a great book. And he runs an amazing organization called Council for Global Evangel Evangelization. Welcome to the podcast, Eaton Mills. Uh, thanks so much, Sarah Jane. Thank you. Now, we met uh, through a friend and um, I have just been so blown away by what you guys have done and um, just the amazing way that God has worked through what you're doing. And you kind of saw a movement back in, was it the 70s, 80s um, from memory? And then you're on another movement again and lots of stuff's happened in between. So I would love it if you could please share your story with our audience today. Wow, that's quite uh, a stretch. Um, <laughs> by the 70s and 80s, um, I was a student at Makerere University in Uganda um, when I found Christ. Um, that was 1981. And... Uh, Uganda had gone through so much uh, turmoil with Idi Amin and, and the invasion from Tanzania to remove Idi Amin. And, and then, of course, we had so many other governments come and fall, one after the other. Um, but that was the time in the midst of all that that I found Christ. I was actually, at the time, a Marxist-Leninist at the Faculty of Law. My class, my law class as a student, we had, uh, were divided in East and West, sort of East-West American, the Russians, that sort of thing, because the Cold War, so the time of the Cold War. Um, so even, even just within the classroom, there was an ideological battle going on. And at the time, obviously, I turned away from everything called religion. And in the midst of all that, all that going on, um, yeah, I come to Christ in the most dramatic fashion. So, um, Can you take us through that experience? I beg your pardon. Say Can you me. take us through the experience of how you came to find God? Um, well, um, how it began was, um, I was sitting down in my university room and I used to do fine art. I used to do as a, as a way of, um, sort of relieving the tension from all the politics going on. I mean, I'm born in Rwanda, for instance. I mean, I better mention that. Um, born in Rwanda, lived through, um, refugee life, statelessness, uh, going from Rwanda, uh, early 60s, in the, end up in the Congo with the Congo crisis, mercenaries, um, um, civil wars. I went through all that as a little kid and survived all that, end up in Uganda with everything going on with Idi Amin after that. And, but, um, so anyway, as I said, to relieve the tension of all that history, call it social political history, um, a lot of trauma and, uh, you know, you're born in it and you live through it. And so anyway, uh, even though I was studying law, uh, I would, had this side sort of thing I used to do, which was paint. I used to do love fine art. I thought I'd be a designer. 
I thought I'll be my profession. Obviously, now I'm at the Faculty of Law. But anyway, in, on this particular day, I was painting the epic of Christ's crucifixion, um, not as a Christian, but as a, a historical event. And so it was amazing to actually paint, capture the moment of Christ's crucifixion in the, in the moment of the Roman Empire. And, uh, and the student walks in, it was a Christian student, he walks, he, he knocks at the door and puts his head in halfway, his head halfway in, and he says, uh, Jesus is not on that cross anymore. And I was absolutely shattered, shocked. I could not believe that, um, that Jesus was not on that cross. He, and and uh, thought I was on the wrong side of history. Um, how come I didn't know he was alive? How come? And where is he anyway? Um, if he's alive, where is he? And, but anyway, so I, he just went back. He, he actually didn't come in. He just left me really <laughs> shattered. I was shocked. And I wish he'd said something more, but he just, just left. And uh, the next, in a, in a matter of, uh, I would say, a month or so, um, I somewhat, my roommate at the university, he said to me, um, there is a preacher coming from, from my tribe and he'll be here at university. He used to be a student here. He's an Anglican and uh, Anglican minister, but he'll be here. And could you please come with me to hear him? Um, because he comes from his tribe. And Uganda's got about at least 20 major tribes at the time. And uh, I mean, from high school, even through school, boarding school, we, we were always mixing with every tribe that was just part of the old missionary schools they got everybody from every tribe in one school and even university was the same so so my roommate actually come from eastern uganda and i'm a stateless rwandan refugee who is very lucky to be at the faculty of law which absolutely never happened even just to get to Macquarie university that was like a sort of a a little oxford in the middle of africa so um so he says to me, would you mind? And I looked at the guy, he's not even a Christian. He's just like me, not a believer, but he wants to go for the tribe, just for the tribe. So I wouldn't, didn't want to disappoint him. So um, by the next morning, he changed his mind, <laughs> which was quite a relief for me. Um, I just missed that trap. I was, God nearly got me, so I didn't want religion. So, but then um, that morning, I walk out, uh, walking towards what they call the senior common room, which is, well, that was where we sort of spent time socializing and so on within the hall of residence. Um, and I walk out, step out of the, 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 the residence, residential section, the wing where we were. And I see about four young men come down and uh, they said, Hey, what are you doing today? I said, oh, well, I'm just, just spending a bit of time out here just resting and walking around. They said, well, uh, there's saved people, saved people today, this afternoon are holding a mission or something. Let's go and see um, and laugh at them and um, kill off time. And they weren't Christians. So I thought it was, it was strange because the night before I had said yes. And then this morning it'd been canceled. And now they come out and, and, they, and I said to them, I do not like religion. And, and so they were not Christian. So... And they said, well, we'll get you, we'll take you there by, by hook or by crook. So they actually forced me down, oh so dragged me, there's four of them, so two on one side, two on the other. They dragged me down 500 uh, yards down to this place. And, uh, so anyway, we get there and the, the, all the Christians were playing their guitar, looking at the music by the door, and I begged, please leave me here at the door. And they wouldn't, so they shot me in and... Um, um, 
so yeah, the preacher was preaching about the prodigal son. Um, that's the man from the other tribe, as we were saying before. And he's preaching, talking about the prodigal son, which I never was. So, I mean, I come from a culture of, um, um, you know, for the firstborn, you respect your father. You, uh, you know, one day my father said to me, um, uh, do you fear me? I said, yes, father. <laughs> and uh, even if I were to kill you now, I said, yes, father. Uh, so that's the culture I come from in Rwanda. And, uh, and uh, here's the man talking about the prodigal son. So the prodigal son, you had the, the, the eldest son who obeyed his father, who stayed home. And then you've got the younger one who went off and squandered his, the whole living and, and everything else, whatever else he did. And I, sitting there listening, there's about a thousand students on that afternoon. And um, I said to myself, what a wrong message for the wrong person, because I was the most obedient son. Yeah. Uh, obviously, this uh, totally out of context, doesn't suit me, doesn't fit me. And, um, but anyway, I thought, well, hurry on and uh, get on, you know, get finished with it. And, uh, but at the end, he asked me to come to Christ. Nobody went forward. And I thought to myself, well, that serves you right. <laughs> And uh, so we'd been sitting back with my friends and we were laughing and smoking and carrying on. And, and, and uh, so, but at the end he said, we should, let's buy and pray. And so, of course, there's that element of, you know, you respect um, religion. There's still that residual, um, you know, you do think of God, even though you're not, you don't believe in him, but mm. bow and pray is, you know, we can do that. So, so we buy and prayer. And he started to pray, and in the praying, he stopped halfway and he shouted, just admit that you're lost. So, um, I mean, I wish I could, could, could shout it right here. As we <laughs> it was like uh, the battalion commander in the British Empire. I mean, this was absolutely shocking. He sh- cut through my heart. I said, what was this? And uh, who is this? This is Jesus I never heard of. And how come no one told me about him? And my mind went back to growing up with a priest because my family was Catholic. And no priest told me about this Jesus. And wow. I actually, as a law student, I want all the priests indicted. You know, I felt they should get arrested all of them for not having told me about this Jesus. <laughs> and by that point, I'm, I'm in tears and crying. And, uh, um, and uh, so, yes, that's how I got saved. And, um, uh, but just before that, there had been at Compass, um, they'd put a post around the campus just before that, which I'd seen. And it was sort of um, like graffiti was really all over the place. It was like revolution. It was like underground kind of something going on in the university at campus. They splashed everything around. The, the word was, I found it, I found it. So I didn't know what that was. But this was the meeting. They, they'd actually been trying to publicize the event, not saying what it was. I found it, I found it. What was it? So... A lot of people end up there, the thousand students, to find out what is this. I found it. I found it. So, mm. But that's how I found. I found it. I found Christ on that day. <laughs> that's so beautiful. And so what happened after that day? Like how, didn't you have a moment in your room yes. where you kind of, there was one direction you were heading and then suddenly, hello. <laughs> uh, well, I, I walked out of the place, out of the building, and I stepped out. And my eyes, something happened to my eyes. I said, what's this? I see everything's beautiful out here. Uh, even the trees looked perfect. Everyone, every human being, every African looked really handsome and beautiful. What's the matter with them? They've all been transformed. I thought I was the one getting transformed, but it looked like nature had just been changed all around me. 
and I get I head up to um, the hall of residence where I stayed, and I went up. I I so my, the natural the first thing I thought I should do is um, reach out to my um, my bookshelf, and out of the law books that were up on the shelf, I had a little Bible, the re, a revised standard version, a red revised standard version. I had bought it at the bookshop, at the university bookshop. It was red. Um, I thought, well, I have books, you have law books, many of them old English law. As a matter of fact, really English, really English law. That's, that's what we had. And, uh, beautiful textbooks. So you sort of live, think you can die for them. They're just so expensive and, and very... Um, very important as a law student. I mean, that's your future. So, but in the midst of those books was the red revised standard version, a little beautiful Bible that I had purchased along with the other uh, books on the law list. And um, the reason I bought, I bought the book was so I can always say, yes, I'm not, uh, I mean, I'm, I know I study law, I read books, but I also do have some knowledge about the Bible, which was not true. Uh, in case anyone says to me, um, have you ever read the Bible? I said, I do have one. So it was on the shelf. It was just there for, uh, for decoration, just so in case I need, I need the, that little Bible's proof that I've read everything on the planet. Um, <laughs> and um, so I, not, the first thing I felt to do is reach out to the little Bible and find out who is Jesus, because I knew what I just found him, but I really don't know him. And I wanted to find out who he is. Um, uh, or I mean, who is he? I like to find out for myself. And so naturally I thought was going to the Gospels. So I read Matthew, um, I read Mark, I read uh, Luke and John. I read one after the other, the Gospels. In my mind, um, I just imagine that I'm a journalist. It's going to look at, sorry, it's going to look at the, um, at Jesus from every angle. Um, I imagine Matthew must be one of the journalists. Mark is the other, and of course, the rest of them, they're all journalists capturing the story. Who is Jesus? Put him under the camera. And so I follow Jesus through the streets of, of, of Galilee. I follow him through Jerusalem. I watch him, what he says, what, how he relates to people, the questions that are filled to him from the Sadducees and Pharisees and scribes and lawyers. I loved how he answered them with, another, with questions. You know, they ask, he, they ask a question, he's, he, he throws another question at them. And I, I love how he engage with the people, especially the common people. So, and of course, in that process, I really get to know him firsthand. And I would recommend anyone, anyone really wanting to know Jesus, you, really, you still need to go back to the Gospels and find him and follow him, especially how he relates to people. And, and I was fascinated by the fact that he, um, he seemed to have two main things he was after. One was faith. He, he, everywhere he went, your faith has made you well. And he would be astonished that someone didn't believe. And um, almost in every case, it was the faith that was operating on that journey. Um, and the other thing was the kingdom. Um, he seemed to have this philosophy of the kingdom. And I've taken a lifetime, actually, really to understand that. It's, it's, uh, that's what Jesus is like. Uh, I say he's a, such a compelling personality and, and you really get to know his personality, even, even reading the story. It's not a story. It's very visual, very vivid. Um, and and uh, so, yes, the beginning of my salvation was such. And, and, but the next thing that happened, uh, all this happened within two weeks, by the way, apart from the fact <laughs> I read the Gospels, 
apart from the fact that I read the Gospels, I, I now went back to, I, I had to go back to the start and I had to read from Genesis. So within two weeks, if you can believe it, I read the entire Bible, except, except for Leviticus and the book of Revelation. <laughs> Those two, I wouldn't dare. I just I get bogged down in, in Leviticus. I saw the blood in Leviticus, just too much. The priests, I just didn't want to touch it. So, and at the end, there was Revelation, which is just absolutely another world. And I just wasn't sure if I was ready for that. So, <laughs> but I had read the rest of the Bible within two weeks. Um, what happened after the two weeks is very interesting because um, we were just beginning to prepare for exams. Uh, and law is such a tough, tough thing to, especially case law, when you've got to read every um, if you go to class, usually in law, um, the lecturers will come, professors one after the other, and they don't really care whether you pass or fail um, in those days. Um, and each lecturer would say, well, here, I've, I've got 15 cases for you to go and research in the library. And each case, as I found out, takes at least an hour to study thoroughly. And if you've got 15 cases from, from just one lecturer and you've got several lecturers per day, there's just no way you can do it. So I'd find ways uh, sort of to study and, and, and succeed somehow. Um, but anyway, while I was at the library, this is at the end of two weeks, um, this is in the basement uh, of the uh, Makerere University Library, which at the time was known as the um, Library of East Africa. Um, and uh, Makerere University used to be they say maybe the best, the greatest university on the continent, best or second best on the continent at one time. So I think I caught the end of, of that glorious time of that university. I'm very, very lucky to even get there. As a Rwandan, as a refugee, stateless, our rights were very limited. So yeah, um, I still wonder how did I make it there uh, many, many years later. But during that time of studying, um, I had all the books. That was about 8 p.m., and I sit down to um, read the case law. I've got a, quite a, a good number of big volumes right in front of me. And I sit down and I start to open them. And I feel a, 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 like I get a fever. I feel, I feel like a fever coming through. And I thought my face, I touched my head. No, is this a fever? This is tropical Africa, so anything is possible. Um, and as I, I begin to wonder if I'm falling sick, but then it got so intense that I thought I might just die. Uh, this could just be the end of my life right here. And I didn't know why, what was going on. And so I felt my body get so weak and I thought I'm about to die. I may as well just get up. So I gather my box files and whatever books I had and I go up the stairs towards reception and on the uh, top floor and I go around the corner. This is Macri University. Macri University is such a big, big place, a beautiful, beautiful um, place of... Well, it's a, like a little city, really. It's like an oasis in Kampala, the capital, and a uh, uh, place of high learning and huge, huge old British university, really, built in the 1920s. Very, very England. and very, um, So, yeah. Um, and I turn around the corner and I crash on the ground. I just absolutely crumple to the ground. And, uh, yeah, the, that's my first experience with the Holy Spirit, if I can say that. Um, um, <laughs> he had you on the floor. <laughs> on the floor, I have never heard of it, don't know anything about the Holy Spirit, and the power of God struck me like lightning, but I didn't know. I thought I was just, I thought, gee, God want to take me like Elijah, because I'd read about Elijah already. <laughs> I thought, I just Beaming got you saved. up, Scotty. <laughs> yeah, I thought I just got saved two weeks ago, and 
I've been cleansed. My, I'm in a different world. I'm just absolutely in heaven. Every day I say myself, what's happened to me? And, and maybe now God wants to take me. I'm just not fit for the earth. I'm just too, too changed and too um, thoroughly converted. And absolutely, I, I, maybe God thought I, sh- I was not good for the earth. I didn't belong here anymore. And he was going to carry me away. In that moment, that's what I felt. And, uh, so I thought I was going to die. And uh, so, uh, yeah, 20 minutes I was on the ground and my chest is... Uh, well, it was like, um, uh, yeah, it was um, very intense. My chest going up and down, my stomach, everything. everything. My whole being was being emptied out, really. And, and uh, so then God didn't seem to take me away. I seemed to, to still be around on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> Don't. And, um, and then students, I saw students passing by because this was eight, just after 8 p.m. and Market University, this is a weekend, it was a Friday, Friday evening. And weekends, the students get drunk and everything else. I've got any, everything goes on at university. It's, it's just, um, and as students were passing by on the other side um, and they said, oh, he's drunk, he's drunk. That's what they do. They get drunk over the weekend and uh, they should come and help me. I really wish they could come over and get, get me up and help me, but no one was helping. So, oh my gosh, um, just had to lay there. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, I got some energy and I got up and I took a few strides and I crashed on the ground again. Another, gee, I think I was there for about an hour. <laughs> I hit the ground again and the same thing happened again over all over again and when God was finished um, I got back to myself and I got up and I said to myself well I feel like my whole body's been absolutely rang out I've been absolutely cr- as if God has just pressed hard on my whole being I couldn't go back so I had to head down to uh, the whole of residence again and um, I know I'm not going to die now but uh, it felt like I'm on a holiday now. It felt like God just put me on a holiday. So I head down to the whole residence and I went back to my room and I said, my life is not the same. What's, what's the future here? What's going on? What is it God wants? Um, yeah, it took time to answer that question. So anyway, that is the beginning of my, my Christ life, if you can put it that way. And, um, um, and of course, at the time, Uganda was going through one of those episodes of, of uh, conflict. Idi Amin was gone, but uh, there were different factions uh, fighting to take control of the country. Um, uh, there were several armies, um, regional armies. We talk about tribal armies sometimes. The main army that was, had been supported by the Tanzanian forces was, was from the north. They were mainly northern troops, which was normal really in Uganda because apparently historically was um, the British always recruited from the north and uh, and um, I'm sure that was just part of the colonial system so that tradition of northern armies was there from the days of the British and and uh, and it was it, 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 so yeah by, by this 1980s and um, so um, early 80s it was just really a tough time in Uganda uh, you couldn't even walk. I mean, for me, as, as a Rwandan, and not just Rwandan, actually, I'm, you know, if I can say it, we are the Tutsi people, the ones who get slaughtered in Rwanda, if you've heard of the genocide. Mm. And my nose was just enough to get, give me away anyway. So, um, but yeah, that was, that was a tough time. And to get saved during that period, um, and, uh, and I had to escape, actually, because 
there was a guerrilla war going on not too far from Kampala, the capital. We had a, um, an insurgency going on. We had, um, and many of the students at university were uh, setting out to go and fight because um, many of the leaders of that insurgency were actually um, students. Some of them were my classmates, actually. So if I can say that, I was supposed to join them, but now I just got saved. So uh, that was a dilemma. Um, <laughs> an easy one to choose, though. Uh, it wasn't an easy one, actually, Sarah Jane, because of our history. Uh, being, being Rwandan, have lived in exile and statelessness, we lost our country. It wasn't just refugee life, it was actually statelessness, which yeah. maybe only the Jewish people will understand, um, or the Kurdish people would understand. Um, um, and so um, it was safer to actually go into the bush and fight. They call it the bush. That's they were all going to the bush. That's what it was called, which was really only uh, a few miles out of the capital. And, uh, but an insurgency was, was taking place there. And uh, many of the students uh, were heading over there to, to join the fight because Uganda had become very um, lawless. It was a lawless society in terms of governments. The governments were very repressive and oppressive. There was a, a rigged election which absolutely got everyone upset in the country. And, and the, student, the young people, students, wanted to go and fight for their country. So, but um, some of our own people, the Rwandans who were in that university, obviously, we were targeted as well. So, mm. And that's the reason many of them were going over to, the, to fight, not just to fight for Uganda, but it was just the safer place to be, really. For, for people like me. Um, and also they were saying um, the government discovered that the university was uh, uh, providing leadership and many of the students might go and fight. That, that created a problem within the university. We were being betrayed by fellow students. And, and uh, so someone said to me, look, why don't you get out? Um, one of my fellow students, one of, the man who'd come, the young man who'd come to me when I was doing my painting, yeah. he actually came to me and he said, of course, now I'm a Christian with him, and he, he was three years ahead of me in Christ. And he said to me, just dare. Everyone is getting out. If you can't, we can't go to fight, at least we can avoid being here. And so he said to me, dare. I mean, the word dare is amazing. I mean, we all know about the word faith. But sometimes we need to translate the word faith into something more, more practical. And um, sometimes it really means daring. It means going against um, everything you think in your mind. It means um, it is possible now that you're in Christ. Oh my God, being in Christ was everything now. It, was, it, was, um, it redefined everything I do, how I think. If I'm in Christ, if Christ is in me, if Jesus is in me, well, that government just can fall apart. That was our, our, our attitude. Um, yeah. little, especially to a group that was around me, including this, young, this man, David. His name was David. And so they, he encouraged you to get out. Of the university. Yes, he says, because David was maybe the most adventurous Christian I'd ever met. He, he was very daring. He used to go through these armies and go through roadblocks everywhere across cities and, and preach Christ up in the north where no one went, nobody went to the north. I mean, um, those were no-go areas. But David would be going and back, doing exploits for God. And, uh, so he was like my role model. He was my mentor as a student to student. And... Um, I've been very, very privileged to have people like David in my early Christian life. Uh, quite a lot of people that I looked up to, people who assisted me, helped me, used to hold me by the hand, take me to meetings and, and get me to prayer. Um, so yes, I learned 
a lot of things people learn in Christian life over years, over the years. I mean, church, I learned within a matter of months. I had to, the situation demanded that we learn how to have, have faith. We learn how to pray. Um, and like in prayer, when it comes to prayer at the time, um, I realized that, and this was David teaching me and a few others around saying, well, this government might be repressive, but we are Christians. Um, so there was, there was in Uganda at the time a whole movement of Christians, Ugandans mainly, who, who used to have prayer meetings. And uh, that had begun in the days of Idi Amin. There's sort of an underground prayer movement of intercession that believes you can change things, you can change governments, you can change situations. So anyway, I was very lucky to get saved in that period to, to know these things, to know that life can change and you, you, actually you can determine what happens through prayer if Jesus is in you. Um, so anyway, so you put to use the, some of those principles you read, you, you read in the Gospels, you put to work that faith Jesus talks about, that kingdom. And, um, um, and so, yeah, I... So how did you go then from getting out of university into crusades? Into I mean, I'm... Into crusades. So I, I, I leave Uganda. I had to leave Uganda um, and, and I head west. I head into the Congo. Because the east was impossible. That was absolutely impenetrable. The east was, it was like a wall of, of military. Um, it was, they just knew anyone trying to escape would go through the east. But I, tried, I went the west way and... Uh, uh, so this is how I get into the ministry, heading west just to get out of that, that environment. Um, and yeah, went through 15, 16 military checkpoints. Um, I don't know if anyone can imagine what it was. Uh, those who lived through that time would know what that is. It was just, I mean, I could be shot at any of them. Uh, mm. I could tell you many stories about that whole journey of 15 military checkpoints, and I won't go into that. But, um, um, but across... I crossed the border into the Congo and I head to a city called Kisangani up north because um, my father lived there. My father was actually in the Congo, if you believe it, Sarah Jane. My family was, um, is all French speaking and I'm the only Anglophone um, through the, those changes of, of the region of politics. Wow. And, and so I spoke English. My brothers uh, all spoke French. My father spoke French. He was from the old school, the old colonial era of, yeah, very, Rwanda was French speaking, but in Uganda we spoke English. But I was the only uh, one of the siblings that actually lived in Uganda, stayed there and studied all the way to university. And, uh, but now I head west and my father was up in Kisangani, he was working at one of the universities there. And it was when I got there, I was there for seven months. And by, this is 1982, by 83, June, eight, June 83, the 6th of June, um, and that's, I discovered that was D-Day in Europe, D-Day, not landing in Normandy kind of thing. And, but that was the day Jesus visited me in that yeah. city. And, and he said, you must give up everything. I had all my law books there, taken everything with me, which was very risky. But um, that's when Jesus appeared to me. That's the first encounter with Jesus about ministry and callings. And, and, uh, and he uh, took away my future, absolutely, absolutely killed all my dreams by saying I should be, I should be in the gospel and the ministry. And uh, from there, I head south into Zambia, looking for a place that's where they speak English. I mean, how am I going to be a preacher in a French-speaking country called, the, at the time was known as Zahil, but it was actually, it's the Congo today. They call it the Congo. People would know about the Congo and all the troubles in the Congo. 
um, yeah, those troubles were there. They've been there for years and years. And, but, and, but that is the, this is my journey. So I end up in Zambia. There are many stories along the way. Uh, someday you might read them, read about all that in a book sometime. But um, <laughs> um, so I go through Zambia, another long story in Zambia. But in Zambia, I learned so much about what you call the ministry. I encountered Ranad Bonke's ministry in Zambia. Um, encountered crusade evangelism. I attended his crusade for 14 days and studied what is evangelism? What is the Holy Spirit? You know, we read about the Holy Spirit in books, in, in, in the Bible. We, we, we even experience the baptism in the Holy Spirit. We, we experience so much. But to actually be on the grounds with, with the Spirit of the Lord moving like the summer winds, that's how I describe it, the summer winds. Um, to watch Reinhard Bonke, if some of you have heard of him, mm-hmm. to watch the man stand on the platform and say, uh, Jesus, don't you feel it? And the whole stadium gets struck with, with power as if it's a tornado or something. Um, to watch the cripples throw everything and, and walk and, and blind the lame. Um, the one moment I'll never forget is um, when it was announced that um, a mother out in the in the crowd, out in the, amongst the thousands, just discovered that her child just turned into a girl. Think of that. <laughs> oh my God, I'll never forget the moment. But anyway, but that was my, my first experience of what is evangelism, what is the gospel, what is, and you watch it day after day after day. And, and, uh, and that's where I learned everything, really. Um, apart from the fact that I had a wonderful church life in, in that city, Lusaka, the capital of Zambia. And, and from there, obviously, I don't forget that I'm still a Rwandan, still in exile for decades, still um, stateless, and nothing is ever really resolved, even though I found Christ. But now that I'm in Christ, really, really, I want to find out, God, where are we? And where are we going as a people? How about Rwanda? How about us? But obviously, God doesn't really want to listen to that because he wants me in the ministry and um, in the gospel. But... Really. So anyway, from Zambia, just cut the story short, I end up in Australia because um, God opened the doors for me to come to this country. And, uh, but coming to Australia for me was another gateway, really. I thought I'm gonna go to, I'll go to India. By then, I already felt I'm going to end up in, the, in India and preach the gospel in India and die in the Himalayas as a missionary. I didn't know much. I didn't know much. Even though I've seen Ranhat Bonke's crusades, I still did not know the way forward, didn't know how does one get to do that? How? Oh, I still knew all I need to do is um, um, just be ready to serve Christ. But I thought I'll see the Lord will probably take me to India. And how do I get there? Just before I left Zambia, some Christian people said to me, how are you going to get to India? You might have to swim across the Indian Ocean. You, are no, you have no country, no passport, no, no state. You're absolutely stateless. So how do you propose to do this? I said, well, am I, I'm going to get to India. But, and that's when God opened the door for me to come to Australia. So my first, the first thing I did after getting my passport was to head to India. And, uh, so I did India, Thailand, Indonesia, Pakistan, and I went back several times. I, so I started to do what people call missions. Uh, sometimes I, when I listen to Christian people, I hear what they're doing around the world. I say, okay, so missions, yeah, I have done that. Um, and there are many ways to serve Christ in the gospel, in the ministry. There are many ways to, uh, we learn, there's so much they teach in Bible colleges and Bible schools. How do you serve God? How do you do this? How do you do that? So one of them is missions. 
I had done that. I knew exactly what that is. And, uh, and then I was able to go back to Africa and, and do missions again in Af- different parts of Africa. And uh, I'll be back to Australia um, until uh, May 19, 1992 in Melbourne, when the Lord visited me with the power of God like I've never known in my life. Um, so Sarah Jane, I don't know if you want me to get into all that, but um, the journey is such a long journey. Um, <laughs> even at that stage, it seems like I'm still at the beginning. Um, <laughs> well, he basically, um, you basically started your own kind of movement in Melbourne. It's um, essentially kind of a roundabout way. I love that, Sarah Jane. I <laughs> never had a chance to interpret that to myself. <laughs> <laughs> Um, (laughs) and from that you've seen many amazing things happen through through the power of God and the healings and just how God's well just how the Holy Spirit's moved through your ministry in in Melbourne and um, maybe we will leave those stories for another time but it is because of those stories that you know what you know today you understand it's given you insight into the Holy Spirit in a really unique way. And um, sorry if I'm putting words into your mouth. No, no, no that's um, love to hear from you. Love to hear from you. Feedback yeah. is always good. <laughs> <laughs> so that kind of, I mean, first of all, what like uh, being English, I was born and I had a pretty cushy life. And mm. then, God also opened the door for me to come to Australia, which is amazing. I cannot comprehend or even begin to imagine what it must have felt like to go through what you went through. And I'm so glad you got into art as your way of getting some art (laughs) therapy out. And I'm glad that the random Christian came in and told you that Jesus was still alive. But if it wasn't through all of that that happened and then you come into Melbourne and then you're doing your amazing stuff in Melbourne, you just wouldn't know the Holy Spirit like you do and you wouldn't um I guess begin to even able to explain that it's through all of these and so you even just being hit onto the ground by God that you understand the power of God and that's one of the reasons why we wanted and uh, to invite you um to our conference in February and I know that you book putting a book together as well of the amazing story and journey that you've been on but from those experiences and from seeing, like you were saying, oh my gosh, you know, seeing the woman, I think you said in your story, the woman turning into a female or yes. or something. Like we a cannot. Baby. It was a baby. A, a baby. baby. Yes. We just can't, like we just have, I feel like, I don't know, maybe I was just born in an era where I was a baby, like when you were going through some of that stuff. Mm. And I'm just like, I read the Bible and this is why a supernatural business came from as our um, kind of topic for the conference. Like I read the book of Luke and I'm like, okay, this is awesome. And then I've gone into Acts and I've gone, this is even more awesome. And I want to see that ha- well, I mean, in God's time, but you know, I have that passion and that drive to go, okay, if the Holy Spirit can do that then, Surely he can do it now. There's a reason why business owners are are being lifted up. I feel like the church has gone to sleep. Um, I'm sitting there in churches and thinking, oh, my gosh, this is not what I'm reading in the Bible. This is not what um, I'm learning about. And I'm, you know, how you said the characteristics of Jesus. Why are we not seeing that? And so 
one of the reasons why I was so incredibly inspired to even be able to meet you that time and and I feel that it's such an honor to have you at our conferences. You've seen it, you know it, you experienced it, and you know that it can happen. Um, and so what I would love for you to do now is kind of share with us just like some Holy Spirit stuff. <laughs> like get us excited about uh, one of the questions, as you already know, listeners, is we get um, people to share their top five tips on your craft. And uh, I was speaking with Ethan before this podcast going, well, I don't know how you say this. And like, it might not be your top five tips on your craft, but I am so hungry to learn about the Holy Spirit and I'm so hungry to see and to learn. And so would you mind kind of capturing in somehow with be your top five tips or however it comes out, just teach us a little bit about the Holy Spirit and, and, and take us and prepare us into that moment that's going to happen in conference. Um, I think it was the, the idea of the Holy Spirit really is um, it was Jesus who spoke about the Holy Spirit. He, he, he said he would send him. He said the Father would send him in his name. And he said it was to our advantage that he goes back so he can send the Holy Spirit. And, and uh, there's a lot um, to be said about the Holy Spirit. And uh, maybe uh, Christians need to go back to that. And uh, there's so much we're so busy with in Christian life. And maybe it would be good to redirect most of our focus on the Holy Spirit because uh, the, the, the Jesus business really doesn't get going until the Holy Spirit gets in the mix. So, um, <laughs> and it gets very personal. But the one thing I'd say is um, I discovered in my experience that, um, well, you, we have been taught in many ways that we're taught that the Holy Spirit is a person. And so we, there's so much theory and practice, that sort of approach to the Bible and to Jesus, to the Holy Spirit. But um, my experience is... Um, uh, we need to get to discover that the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit doesn't just come, he's actually, he visits, it's a visitation. Um, and generally speaking, I think God visits. Um, uh, everything supernatural, everything divine, everything is, is really a visitation. Um, there's a story in, in the Bible about, um, of a, a woman uh, who was a widow in a city called Nain, Nain in Israel, and um, I have been to Israel. Uh, I was in Israel in 2011, and um, and I remember we're driving um, from from in the, through the Galilee, heading to Haifa, and um, and I see on the road this signpost that says Nain was pointing to Nain. I said, "Oh my God, Nain still there? Nain in the Bible is actually still here in this country. This is Israel, modern Israel, modern state of Israel." And from in the city of Nain, there was a woman, this is in the Gospels, and um, she, she was a widow, and now her only son just died. And, and the whole funeral procession was coming through the gates of the city, and Jesus was coming in into that city. And so imagine this entourage, Jesus and his entourage coming in, and, um, and at the funeral procession is coming towards him, and he stops, uh, he stops the procession, and he... he touches the coffin and says to the, 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 the young man that was dead, rise up. And, um, and the young man sat up. And, uh, 
But when that story broke, when it broke out, the news break, what do you call it, breaking news, when the word <laughs> went out that this has happened in Israel, um, everywhere they said the news spread throughout Israel all the way. I mean, every place in Israel heard about it. And the word was that God is visiting his people. That's how it was uh, told. Um, I think uh, we probably get to experience God, not just get to know God, get to experience God much more if we begin to expect him to visit. And usually he visits through the Holy Spirit. Um, so we've done all the praying, we've done all the fasting. I had the privilege of, of uh, going through that process where I learned to fast because I needed to fast. And the, the politics on everything in the regions where I've been, you know, you really had to fast. You didn't fast because you're giving up food. You needed to change the world. You needed to change your situations and change it. And regimes that were, you know, they were out to kill and destroy. But um, so prayer was a totally different dimension. Fasting was. And, but um, it's when the Holy Spirit comes and uh, you realize that God is with you. I mean, God is with us, yes, but when he starts to move, um, everything moves, everything moves. And in the, in the story of the, the widow and her son, the word went out that God is visiting his people. My experience with the Holy Spirit is that he's visiting. I uh, could give you many stories, and I'm sure we will talk about it at some point, maybe at the, at the, at the event with international, the women's uh, business meeting and um, but in that time, the news got to John the Baptist, out of the story out of Nain, got to John the Baptist. He was in prison, and he heard what's happened when the news was spreading across Israel that God is visiting his people. And when he heard about it, he sent two of his disciples to go and, and confirm that this is it. This actually is, this is Jesus. He had to be him. He had to be <laughs> that Jesus. That was his cousin. That was his cousin. We forget this is actually a family. So... But in a prison, and, and he heard about it, and he go, this has to be him. Can you, so can you go and confirm? And then he, the, the two men found Jesus. And he said, go and tell, go and show, tell, show him, tell him what you've seen and heard. Um, the blind see, the lame walk. Oh, such a beautiful story. And that's what, this is what's going to happen with the Holy Spirit. Because we have, the, the Lord will give us the Holy Spirit. I mean, how many tips can I give you? The Holy Spirit will come, well, what, what do we expect? What do we expect when the Holy Spirit comes? Well, he will bring healing, of course. Healing anointing, healing ministry, that sometimes takes quite a large part of what we, 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 we expect with God. We, you know, there's need for healing. And, and, uh, and Jesus was a healing minister, mighty healing ministry, extremely healing-focused ministry. Um, and, uh, but we forget healing when it came through Jesus. It was the blind see, the lame walk, um, lepers are cleansed, the dead are raised. Such a challenge to the church. I mean, that is a category, I call it a category of, of miracles. I mean, so. <laughs> category A. <laughs> category A. And um, so over the years, actually, back, years back, I used to read that, God, Jesus, that only God does stuff like that. <laughs> I'm, I'm all right about healing, but the blind, the lame, that stuff, it's only the special, special ones who do that. But all I'm trying to say is um, we should let God do the whole range of what he does when he sends the Holy Spirit. And where else to begin but to heal the sick. Um, and, yeah, um, like as I said before, 
you know, from May 19, God began a, 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 something, you call it a movement. It was a movement, truly. It was, when I look back, it was beautiful to watch. And it's never really stopped. It hasn't stopped. Because then I stepped into the blind scene, the lame walk, when I call it crusade evangelism. I discovered there is that dimension. And, um, um, but John the Baptist then realized, well, this is it. And, um, and he was ready to depart. He was ready to go, and that was it. And, uh, and, but that is the kingdom. When the kingdom comes, God begins to move with power and anointing. There's a number of things we have to consider. We can't just say the Holy Spirit. Um, there has been a question within the Christian world, evangelicals um, who are probably not so, not so focused on things of the, of the power and anointing. The, you know, the, when my ministry started to really move with power and anointing in Australia, I had quite a problem because... Within the church, they, 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 they said, but it can't be. It can't be like that. You know, um, they, they, you, know you receive the, 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 when you get saved, you receive the Spirit. And, oh, yes, of course, there is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And then you've got to become Pentecostal to, to push that, that idea of baptism in the Spirit. That's fine. But when it gets to miracles, does God heal the sick? Yes, he does. But um, when I began my ministry in Melbourne, we used to put posters out and say, he heals the incurable. And I used to say, bring the incurable. I mean, that stirred up things. <laughs> the media was after me as well. And they thought I was from America. If it's the Holy Spirit and the power and anointing, it's going to be American. So they said I was <laughs> one of the tele-evangelists from America. I lost my friends. I lost all my Christian friends. Lost them all. Oh, so many gosh. of them. Uh, so... Um, if you want the Holy Spirit, um, when he comes, he'll make some changes. It he, he, he will affect your relationship with people because it is too, it is too much sometimes, a little too much, but it's the only way God can visit. It's the only way God can be in our midst in our time. And, and, um, and my experience is that he, you really begin to learn a lot. It was like a school for me, the Holy Spirit, the, every, every, Every moment of that movement, whatever God began to do, I noticed the most important thing. I noticed the, the most astonishing thing was that um, remarkable thing was that every time I went to pray for someone, most of the time demons just cry out. This is in Melbourne. Yeah. This was in Africa. This was uh, not just Melbourne. We went to every city. Most of Victoria, instead of Victoria, in every town, we didn't actually go to churches. We were mainly out in the town halls, into public spaces, uh, wanting to bring. The, the, the Holy Spirit into the, the secular domain, bring the gospel into the secular domain, talk about Jesus in the secular world. That's how my ministry was for at least 10 years. And, um, so yes, uh, the Holy Spirit, is, is, um, it transforms one's life. And, um, and along with that comes visions and dreams. Then you really, um, you begin to see things. God shows you all the gifts of the Spirit, nine gifts of the Spirit. Oh my God, those gifts. <laughs> Bring it back. We should say bring it back. Um, 1980s, because I arrived in Australia in 1980s, 1986, and that was the high tide of, of what they call the charismatic movement um, around the world, especially in the English-speaking world. And may I say something about the English-speaking world? The English-speaking world somehow seems to be the, the carrier of the magnificent gospel. They, it's it's histor historical. I mean, that's... I've been part of that world. I was educated in that world, and um, I read a lot of books. And almost anything that you will learn about the Holy Spirit, about Christ in the last hundred years or so, oh, well, it's really very, very Anglo-American. It's English-speaking world. And uh, somehow God has given the English people 
from days of um, the London Mission Society, 1700s onwards, through all the, what they call revivals, which is another subject. Um, but the English-speaking world has been given the, the mandate, been given the blessing of being the ones to, to spread the gospel. But in spreading the gospel, it's much easier, much more blessed if, if you carry the Holy Spirit with you, if the Holy Spirit carries, him, carries you with him, um, a visitation. And that's what I'm trying to say. Um, if you expect a visitation, you expect um, um, the Spirit of the Lord. And that idea of the Spirit of the Lord has been there since the prophets. It's been there from, from Genesis. I mean, I can take you to Genesis um, chapter 1. Um, the Hebrews, in the Hebrew text, you read about Ruach, Ruach, and uh, the Spirit moving like a wind, and, um, and uh, like breath, like a rational being, and, and, and uh, even creation couldn't come in. It, w- it wouldn't even be a subject today of <coughs> my creation without the Spirit of the Lord moving. So the Spirit of the Lord has been moving for a long, long time, since creation time. So, so why not be open to the Holy Spirit? So, Sarah Jane, yeah, there's so much to say, so much to say. <laughs> there are stories. There are stories I could give you. Um, but um, most but the most stories. important thing is the expectation of the visit. Yes. I guess yes. is what you're trying to position in your heart and your, even just your mind to go, I'm expecting the visitation from the Holy Spirit. And I guess it is really up to the Holy Spirit from there. <laughs> um, it is. It is. Um, on, on May 19, on May 1992, I was very, 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 um, I was fatigued in terms of Christianity, the gospel and so on, the call of God and everything. And preach here, you preach there, pulpits here, pulpits there, done missions already, I'd been to India and so on. But I knew deep down there's this dissatisfaction, there's this, not a hunger such, but a frustration of uh, there is much more. And I look around the ministries and churches and pastors that I knew, I knew, I knew this, this, it's got to be better than this. And uh, I'd come to a point where I really didn't think I could go on. Um, the call of God on its own is just not sustainable. And, and uh, yes, I'd experienced the Holy Spirit back in Africa and Zambia in particular. There's so many stories I could give you about all that after Ranad Bonk, there was so much that went on. But uh, in terms of Melbourne or a Western city, Western society, I had so many questions going on. Um, people know so much here. They've, they, they, you know, you can't teach them much. People used to say to me, um, oh, you're from Africa. We've got to teach you the word. Really? Yeah. Okay. All right. But, and, but the visitation when it first came on May 19, I was absolutely at the end of myself. And uh, it was midnight. And I remember just sitting there, standing by the kitchen bench on May 19, in 92, saying, God, what more can I do? I have prayed. I've fasted. I know there's got to be more. That Christianity that I see, that I've known even in the past, I've had a taste of it. But here in a Western city, you brought me here. But what's going on? I mean, something is going to get going here. Oh, I am out of this. I'm not going to be part of, of I mean, I, I'm a Christian, but I'm not going to be part of this, this Christianity here that isn't moving, that everybody just happy to get along and move with, with whatever experience they have. And on that midnight, it was midnight. It was midnight, I remember that. <laughs> And uh, standing there going, God, what more can I do? It's just my mind. Because a short while ago, you mentioned the mind. How the experience with the Holy Spirit affects your mind. And I remember it was about the mind. My mind, in my mind, I was questioning things. And 
No, I mean, I wasn't speaking. I was not speaking. I was just thinking, just the mind. Thought, just thought on the edge of, of thought as I feel desperate and, and wondering, I'm frustrated and everything else. In thought, in that moment of thinking, God, what more can I do? And it was in that moment that um, a fire came up my feet. It was like a huge flame just seemed to lap up my body. And really, that's the, I call it, the, the, that was the, I wish I could tell you that fire came from my head. It didn't. It just came from my feet. <laughs> and, and I said, God, this is God. God is visiting me. Oh, my God. In an instant, something has happened. The world is about to change. And, and on my head, I feel like someone just tipped oil over my head. It was like absolute copious amounts of oil just poured out over my head. And my arms were electrified, like it felt like just laying hands on the sick. That is how it began on that midnight. In, within 30 minutes, people were falling out of their chairs, out of their beds with their pajamas, like they say, in Melbourne. In Melbourne. That's awesome. And, but let me say again, just, just reiterate, it's, it's a visitation. He's a person. The Holy Spirit is a person, really. But it's God said, Jesus said he would send the Holy Spirit in my name. I mean, let's just say a little about that because he is sent in his name. He was promised. Um, I don't know how we could be, live a life without the Holy Spirit. And Sarah Jane, there's so much, so much to say. We haven't even begun to talk about the stories of 10 years of the Holy Spirit's lives being transformed. Of... Um, of uh, occultists and um, shamans are coming to fight me in Melbourne from around the world. There's so much to say, so much to say, which the whole thing was like a, a, a wonderful um, adventure, but it was a school. I got to know a lot about the Holy Spirit, how he works by watching what he does in people's lives. And uh, you're talking before about the business, business element. I had uh, people that came to join me. It was like the group that joined David at the beginning. They were all, Many of them thieves and robbers who joined David to sort of rally for the kingdom. In, yeah. Back then, when David just came out of uh, out of Ziklag, a place called Ziklag, to um, so people that sort of came around were we used to call them fruitcakes. We mixed up people down. They call them down and outs, where people were never were not educated. People were jobless. Oh, and that was just. Um, and of course, we had the the recession. Uh, Paul Keating's government at the time, 1993, the following year was the recession and uh, people were out of jobs and business had collapsed, people committing suicide and business. So that anointing became the answer. The Holy Spirit became the answer for every problem, every situation. And I began to speak and I'll teach the Bible and say, um, you just don't know who's going to sit next to you in a cafe somewhere. And God could send someone, you get a job in the next day. Um, mm. And um, there is no limit to what God is going to do. Um, don't think about recessions and so on. Well, people prospered. People just through anointing and prayer. I used to prophesy over people. The Holy Spirit would say, this person, they will have this, they will have that. They will travel to Switzerland and Shanghai. And they were jobless people. Mm. Were, and that's what actually all came to pass. I, in specifically, this one person ended up in Switzerland, Shanghai. Oh, my God. You can't imagine the transformation in People become businessmen. They own businesses, multiple businesses. This is through the time of that Holy Spirit power. And believing, I taught on faith so much at the time. I must say that it wasn't just about the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I, I've got at least 300 tapes on faith of that period. 
gosh. People still listening to them. People still listening to them. Um, even people that I don't even remember still listen to my tapes. I hear about it from time to time. So, but um, the Bible teaching um, and, and uh, reading the scriptures and get to know what the scriptures said about us and what God wants to do in the earth and being part of it, um, along with the power and anointing of the Holy Spirit. So, um, yeah, um, <coughs> maybe just, just on this subject, just conclude with... with um, the scripture says in, in, uh, in Isaiah 59 that um, um, when the enemy comes like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will raise a standard against him. We need the Holy Spirit. Uh, and, um, and the opposite side is Satan. Believe me, Satan is frightened of the things of the Holy Spirit. People who understand the Holy Spirit. And it's not all just about signs and wonders. Um, the Bible says how God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing those who were oppressed by the devil. There is an oppressive regime that comes from Satan. It ravaged people's lives. And it's only when the Spirit of the Lord comes with those who carry it that change really begins to happen. Uh, but it's always good to know that people have already read the Bible, that they still believe in it. Um, because that Bible reveals a lot about what God is going to do. There's a whole agenda. Um, there's, there's so much to say. There's a whole, um, a whole lineage of Messianic lineage that gets us there. The prophets are part of it, and the apostles are part of it, and we are part of it. So, but at the end of it, the, the cutting edge of it is the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, Isaiah, that was Isaiah 59 I was talking about just before. But Isaiah 60 and 61, which is really an extension of 59, 59, 60, 61, if you read that in conjunction, you discover that in Isaiah, end of, um, end of Isaiah 60, uh, before you get into 61, it says um, that this, the Lord has put his, his word in our mouth and the Spirit upon us. This is the last verses of Isaiah 60 and you step into Isaiah 61 verse 1 and he says the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me really you cannot run with 61 without 60 and 59 so as I said the scriptures already have this build up of revelation to equip and strengthen and guide so the Holy Spirit can then come and um, and move with power like the winds like the summer winds as I said earlier um um, and then we might even hear the voice of God speak in our midst, audibly. How is that, Sarah Jane? <laughs> That's been part of my journey. There's so much to learn. It's been like a school, but it would be nice to be able to share it, and it would be a privilege and, and uh, an honor to, I mean, I've met you, and wow, meeting you was so, such a beautiful thing, because, yes, I'm one of those Anglophiles, so yeah, meeting Sarah Jane was just lovely, just even hearing your accent. <laughs> And I'll come for that conference just for you. Just for you. <laughs> yeah, also the queen, the queen does no wrong. Yeah, that's what I Yeah, that's right. I am a product of that Anglo-British um, evangelical gospel. So, yeah, I have a very soft heart for, for England. I hope someday um, God will visit England, uh, visit the United Kingdom, and visit that English drinking world that's given us so much. Yeah, yeah. Yes, uh, yeah. But um, so no, I I I am I'm very thankful for what God's done in my life and what I've seen Him do in people's lives. It's, it's um, when I think of my life, it's been just uh, 
a catalyst for others to to know that it's possible and and to I know when people get into that space, this is the whole point of the Holy Spirit. When you create space for the gospel, you put on an event like you're about to do uh, early next year. When you create that space, you give God the opportunity to visit. You give God the opportunity for God's people to get together and for for amazing things to happen. Mm. Obviously, God is sovereign and he can do things from one end of space to another. Mm. But he works with his people and through his people, uh, through a podcast like this and through... Even conversations that we had when you came down to Melbourne with first, when I first met you. Um, mm. What a beautiful time that was. And, and maybe it's time to people to realize, yes, it's God, but it's also us. Um, Jesus would rather have it that way that, you know, he said, the Father is in you, I am in you, and you're in him. And it's, it's such a beautiful mix. We are, yeah, it's, it's not all just a Godhead out there. We actually, we are part yeah, of the, We have to do something. And I think yes. like, that is probably... One of the main points um, that is also tied into supernatural business and also in evangelism as well is you saying yes to God in whatever it is that you're doing, be it an event, be it with your business, because like Eaton's got all of these amazing stories that he can share with us of how the Holy Spirit's moved, that having a business is the exact same opportunity to go okay god let's do this business and i want to show your glory through it and then things start to happen and then you get the stories to then be able to share with others about how god's moved about how the holy spirit's moved and something that i guess could never happen in a natural sense has happened and it's a really simple evangelistic tool (laughs) that doesn't make you feel weird because then it's part of your story and no one tells a story better than their own story. Um, And I think if we can place business owners in that place of confidence and understanding the Holy Spirit and understanding that at the end of the day, everything is for God's glory and how can we as business owners serve God the best in that? How can we say yes? How can we allow God to move us and 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 that's the big heart and big passion and and of course we want to bless the women that come and we want to give like time out and and just restore them in the spirit uh, and and send them away feeling full but it's about opening ourselves up to different ideas about well this business isn't just about us it isn't just about us making money for our families there's so much more And if we're willing to say yes and willing to open up and willing to trust and be open to those visitations, then like, let's see what, what God does. Like, hello, (laughs) I'm ready. I don't know if anyone else is. I can't wait. (laughs) I, uh, Sarah Jane, I have had, um, when I began my crusades, um, I was looking for sound systems and and peer systems and staging. It costs a lot of money to uh, put out all that infrastructure for evangelization in these nations. And I was stuck in Johannesburg looking for all that because I was heading into some country. And, uh, and someone said to me, well, there's this lady. Um, uh, she might get the equipment. And, and so she comes along. Um, this lady, I discovered that she actually was a businesswoman. And at the time, she didn't say she was. Um, and she just lost her children. She had four kids. Not lost. They didn't die. She, she, they'd been taken away from her. Uh, she was the wife of a diplomat in New York. 
and she, the diplomat was a Muslim, and she wasn't. And one day he just said, you get out. You know, that was just Islam and uh, one of those elements of, of that religion. And, uh, and uh, so he threw her out. So she heads back to Africa. She's heartbroken. And, but I didn't know she'd been a businesswoman who used to charter aircraft and feed, um, uh, I mean, cross-border, across nations and, and uh, big business. I mean, we're talking about chattering. Uh, well, yeah, amazing, big, big business, seriously. And I don't want to talk about the details of this lady's life there. But, um, but it was, she said to me, well, on a mobile phone, um, I can get your equipment for you from this other country and we'll cross the borders to the other country you want it. Um, I can do that right now, right here as we stand here, because she has this influence as a businesswoman. So <laughs> she, she said, on one condition, I'll do anything for you to do this. I heard you need it, but I also need something. She said, I need my kids back. Oh, my gosh. She lost four children. She's lost them and she wants them back. And can your God bring my, my kids back? And I said, you have your kids back right now. I need my equipment now. So <laughs> a good transaction. Um, so right there, she made the phone call to this other country and uh, she spoke with such authority. I was astonished. She demanded they move and uh, told them if they don't, you know, this will happen. They've got to do this for this preacher. And Sarah Jane, we had tracks going across the borders with sound systems and equipment and, and men to work, the, to work the whole event for the crusade. And during that crusade, we had 3,000 people come to Christ. But years later, I get a message on Facebook. The woman has found me after many years. And she said, I've been looking for you. My kids want to see you. <gasps> That's and so cool. My eldest daughter is doing a PhD at Harvard. Oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. That's and, incredible. Uh, and... Uh, and I flew out to the United States because she, I was told that um, right after that crusade that she helped happen, she got a call that she's required, she needs to rush to America because her, something's gone wrong. <laughs> and she needs, she needs to head back to take care of her kids because something's gone wrong. I've never found out what really happened. It was just such good news to hear that now the elders are doing uh, teach at Harvard. So I actually met them. I've been there. Aww. I was there in 2017 and I met them. And, uh, but then I heard the whole story about who she really was. We're talking about a Christian. Uh, of course, she, yes, she was seven months in Christ when I met her. She only got saved seven months before. And here she was organizing a gospel crusade for me. <laughs> That's awesome. And there was a second woman. Her name is uh, Liliane. She spoke French. And this other friend was Vivian, spoke French. And Vivian heard about it. Oh, you promised this woman her kids back. I've had no children for 11 years. I said, <laughs> if I'm helping with this crusade, I need a baby. I said, well, you've got your baby. Let's get moving. So <laughs> she's got a baby. One of the things that happened, Sarah Jane, in my ministry is um, women conceive all the time so i make sure during the crusades i make the announcement yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and i um, say something really funny shouldn't say it on the podcast but in one crusade i was in vanuatu and i said I, I just remembered while i was giving the article and you know praying for the sick i just remembered well um 
I've observed that in this anointing, people, you know, women conceive. So I called up the women. I said, if you want a baby, come and see me. And <laughs> <laughs> oh, that has followed me all, all over the world. But, it's just, you know, but that was just the old English from high school. I mean, the headmaster would say, come and see me in my office. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. <laughs> what you a know. wrong thing to say. <laughs> Oh, goodness, so, oh, that's so funny. What I really meant was, you can have a baby. Yeah, you know, yeah. Can you, but, oh, yeah. So, <laughs> so my friend Sharon, that you speak to from time to time, she teases me about so many others do on my team. But we've got to realize that miracles are just really, it is a lot of fun. We discover that the gospel is such an adventure. It's a lot of fun. Christian life is really exciting. You meet people you never met before. You get places you've never been. Oh, you want to talk about business. I mean, you can have a global business if you step into things of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Um, there are many stories to tell, truly. And so, yes, that, ba- that lady's got a baby. The, the second Vivian does have it. Absolutely got a son. Uh, he's like, wow, he's like Isaac in their life with her husband. That's... But yes, yeah, so I'm speaking to you. Whoever you are out there, believe me, God does great things. Yeah. Um, there's a, there's a scripture, uh, Jeremiah uh, 33, verse 3. Many of you have heard of it. Um, ask and I'll show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Um, and yes, so we do. Uh, those scriptures are very, very important. So, but I, I, that was one of my favorite scriptures, Jeremiah 33, verse 3, about how God does great and mighty things. I'd just like to tell you he does great and mighty things. But um, you might be interested to know that in the Hebrew text, it's a lot more than that. Um, <laughs> I discovered in the Hebrew that my, great and mighty things, he said, great and inscrutable things that you do not know. Inscrutable. Wow, inscrutable. Yeah. So you uh, uh, ladies out there who are in business and uh, you work with Sarah Jane, you know, you're moving with God and this whole thing. Yes, great and mighty things will happen in your lives. And, and, and uh, Business will work better if, if, if you, you, you let the Holy Spirit move in your life and, 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 and have this whole um, way of thinking that's actually, that your business is centered in God and in Christ and the Holy Spirit. And as a Christian, really, uh, you should succeed. It's not just about success, by the way. Um, I learned this in one of my books. I do read a lot of books. Um, but uh, maybe one of the richest men in the world, his name was... Um, Meyer Rothschilds, and I know there are quite a lot of stories there about people like Meyer Rothschilds, but he said to his sons, these are the richest people in Europe. I mean, they seem to rule the world, really. <laughs> um, but they absolutely control the economies. They, they got into not just money. It's not about getting into money. It's not about success. There's enough teaching on success out there in your business world. But he said to his sons, sons, it is not about success. It is about accomplishment. Um, those who handle money and who want to really be pros- to prosper through Christ, let's learn something. It's about accomplishment. What is it you want to accomplish in life? Um, it's not about money. If, if it's about money, it's just mammon. It's, it's a filthy lookout. Yeah. But it's actually, it is, it is not about just money. It's about the kingdom. And, and, um, and God is ready to prosper. I mean, if you come into that space, as I said, in a, in a conference like you're coming to next year or any other space where, you know, we've, we're ready to meet God, your life can change in a blink, in a moment, in a day. But get out of those scriptures. There are great and mighty things in, in, in Christianity. Um, there's no other place in Christianity 
we haven't even begun to to even scratch the surface of what God can do. So um, some of us have been there, um, and uh, I've seen what God can do. So yes, faith. Uh, begin to to think, not just imagine. Um, begin to think about what God's going to do. What are your dreams? What um, Especially what do you want to accomplish, not just to succeed. The, the secular world, the, you know, there's Gentiles, the Bible says, they seek after these things, but as for you, you need to chase the kingdom. Mm. Because when you chase the kingdom, these things come after you. Then they, God just seems to follow you with all the, the blessings, material stuff we're talking about. <laughs> um, it belongs really with those who, are, who have discovered what is the kingdom, and that's another subject another subject. Sometimes we assume we know what is the kingdom. And there's enough business, Christian business people out there talking about the kingdom, the kingdom. What they really mean is making money um, and having success. But what are they accomplishing for God? What is it God wants them to do? If God was to call upon them to make some difference. I mean, if you are thinking like that, imagine what's going to happen. You can become millionaires. I, yeah, so I think I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Dude, I've seen God transform people's lives. Um, not just financially. I'm talking about finances, yes, but beyond and beyond. Mm, um, yeah. Um, yes, you've got to think about your children. You've got to think about your families. You've got to think about, especially the gospel. What is it Jesus came for when he came to die on that cross? What is it he wanted to accomplish? Can we be part of that somehow? Um, can we be part of that agenda? Can we even begin to discuss, to find out what it was? Uh, sometimes we need to lay aside what we already know. And, and, uh, and especially when you start to meet together in a place like at, at the event next year, when you get together, yeah, wow, why not allow God to, um, to yeah, get that flame going, that fire going, and God speaks to you. And, and uh, imagine coming to that conference. You'll probably be there saying we've come here for women in business, but that could just be the night. God speaks to you in the night. I mean, Solomon... The richest man in the world at the time, maybe the one they said that, well, he's never been one like him. Someone like him, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, how it all began, really, he had a dream in the night. And um, God said to him, well, what do you want? What do you want? And um, he said that I may have wisdom to shepherd your people, yeah. Israel. And God was so impressed by that. And he said to him, um, you did not ask for your enemies, for me to destroy your enemies. You didn't ask for riches. You didn't ask for, you asked for that. You want to take care of my own people. I will give you that and I'll give you much more than that. And he became the richest man on the planet. I am so glad you have brought up this story. That's <laughs> <laughs> good. Sorry, um, keep going. <laughs> yes. Um, so yes, um, and um, I mean, to this day, there never will be another like Solomon. And, and he's not the only one. You've got Job with everything he went through. Absolutely. And uh, we know Job for what he suffered, but we forget why Satan went to try to destroy him. Yeah. Because he had an incredible relationship with God, um, the man Job. He was a wealthy man. Oh, goodness, you, I don't know. He's the, he was the wealthiest man in the East. Um, there's this whole idea of um, the uh, old Hebrew idea, old, the, this, the Jewish people really, you know, people not Jews to have money to be rich, really. Oh, no, 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 no. Um, they just have God. 
<laughs> they had they knew God. They had God in their history, and uh, um, and uh, you they they learned that God, you know, increases their flocks. They knew. <laughs> I mean, look at Jacob. I mean, um, he was cheated by his uncle ten times, and so I mean that was their economy back then. Um, and, and so there's so much to learn in the Bible. There's so much to learn. Business people, Christian people, women in, in business. There's a lot in that Bible. But um, as I said, you, you come to that conference or wherever you are, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, what happens tonight, mm-hmm. even listening to what we're saying. Um, you don't know who's going to make the phone call. You don't know who you're going to be speaking to tomorrow. God is the one who prospers us. He's the one he makes business. He can astonish you. Can I say that? Absolutely. God, I am prophesying mm. now. God is going to astonish you as we look into this conference coming. God is going to astonish you as we speak from this moment. Can I say that to you in the name of Jesus? Um, he is going to astonish you. Uh, he's going to redefine for you what is business. He will show you how, not to make money. He'll show you how to serve him with the resources he's given you. He'll open up the resources for you, but then he'll show you how to serve him in it and with it. And and you'll be a blessing. you have that big smile on your face and that love. And then God is not limited. He's not um, um, limited. Um, The Apostle Paul said to one of the churches, he wrote this letter and he said, um, our hearts are open to you. You are straightened within yourself. You, You are too narrow in your own beings, your limits. Uh, constrain you, it is not on our side, it's on your side. Are we constrained? Are we limited? Are we in our thinking and what we expect? Are we held back by our own family traditions and our own experience from last year and whatever happened, we, whatever we went through over you know, the last four years and whatever affected us by, you know, I suffered this and I, I went through that because of so and so. It has nothing to do with any of that. It is a journey. It is a journey. But let God astonish you. Let God surprise you. If I use a simpler language, but I prefer the word astonish. <laughs> let God amaze you. Um, and uh, and uh, yeah, that is, that is 2020 for you. That's 2020 for you. Uh, let God astonish you. Let God amaze you. And you'll remember that this, this preacher said that. <laughs> I, wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't saying that. I'm just relaying the message to you. And, um, Look forward to 2020. It is a year of amazement, of, of astonishment, of what God can do. Um, yeah, so yes, yeah, Sarah Jane, thanks for the opportunity to um, speak from my heart to, yeah. Oh, that's okay. Yeah, and uh, such a blessing to know you also. And, and uh, yeah, looking forward to seeing you uh, soon. Yeah. And, yeah. Yes. Um, Absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on the show today and um, sharing your heart and sharing um, the amazing story that you have. And it's kind of, it's not finished yet. So it's still very excited to see, you know, the stories to come. Um, but yeah, um, it's such an honor to to know you and to have you come to our conference and and the beautiful words you just spoke just it's so cool. I can just sit here and listen to you all day, but I guess all good things 
must be paused until next time. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. Okay. <laughs> the Lord bless you, sorry. The Lord bless you all that are listening. The Lord bless yeah. you all in Jesus' name. Thank you so much. No worries. You're yeah. listening to the Christian Women in Business podcast show. Uh, we'll put all of um, Eaton's details on the website. So if you wanted to see more about his ministry and what he's up to, go check them out. Uh, keep your eye out for his book that's coming out soon. Otherwise, look forward to seeing you at conference.